Have you ever noticed that everything seems wonderful at Christmas? Oh, you're right, Mommy. If things don't turn out right the first time, you've still got to believe. I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Welcome, Christmas. Bring your cheer. Cheer to all who's far and near. 250 strands of lights, 100 individual bulbs per strand for a grand total of 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights. I made my family disappear. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? It's Christmas Eve. It's, it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. We, we, we smile a little easier. We... We, 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 we cheer a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? Doing well. Good. Hey, everyone else listening. Uh, welcome back to the Better Men Film Club podcast. This is a podcast where Nick and I use the lens of film to dissect, explore, and challenge the messaging and social conditioning that we as men have received in the last century or so, both the positive and the problematic, all in the hopes to be better. Better. You want to be better, Nick? Better. We want to be better. We we are a, a talking Pearl Jam song. We want to be a better man. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know what's funny? I was literally about to sing that song. I was literally just about to ask you if you wanted to be a better man and sing "Better Man" that way. Yeah, and I chickened out, and you met me in my weirdness. I, I got you. See, this is the brotherhood in which is the Betterman <laughs> Film Club. We will we will catch each other when we fall. Let's pray. The, the um, brotherhood of the yeah, traveling the, pod. <laughs> exactly. Um, this it. podcast fits me, and it also fits you weirdly, even though we are different sizes. That's what that movie is about, right? <laughs> hey, by the way. I uh, just last week I was listening to last week's episode, the mm-hmm. Family Stone mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. and that Christmas intro it nailed it hit me in all the feels. It hit all my feels. I didn't. I almost sent it to you, and then I was like, I'm just gonna surprise him because it made me so happy. I literally teared up making it. So yeah, like yeah. honestly, when we started talking, I was so disappointed. It's <laughs> 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 like I could have just listened to all these quotes yeah. from my favorite Christmas. I know, movie. I know. I didn't realize when I was making, I was like, oh, these are all the movies we talked about loving. Um, just the quotes from this movie, It's a Wonderful Life Alone, just hit me. I, there was a moment where I was like, if I put this in there and I get a text like, hey, buddy, I see what you did, but like, hey, let's take that out. <laughs> like, no, I was like, no, 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 it, it could happen. Never, it, could, it could happen. It could happen. I don't know. I never even shot you. Take a you swing. Out. You take a swing, you know. Um, we were back talking about holiday movies this year, uh, since this month, since when we are recording this, it is December. Yeah. Um, and uh, last week we did Family Stone and we talked about some of our favorite holiday films. Uh, and this movie came up for both of us. Um, and I wanted to shout out also a movie that came up last week was Muppet Christmas Carol. And yesterday yes. was the 30th anniversary of that. I, I didn't realize that. that. I know. I was like, we, we just talked about this. So yeah, 30 years ago, Muppet Christmas Carol released and it was so great. I posted a thing about it. And then I saw like the post that I posted some, some other account did, did that. And I shared it, but like there were so many comments on it where people were like, this is the best. This is the best. Like we definitive, talked, definitive, definitive over and over again. Like, and there are people who were like, you know, my, my parents taught Charles Dickens and like th- they talk about how this, this one is like, you know, like the original Charles Dickens or whatever was like all the, all the remakes of, or like the movie 
you know, of the book or whatever, mm-hmm. like uh, we're devoid of, of any kind of humor. And Charles Dickens is actually very funny. And like Muppets kind of pay homage to that. I don't know. Well, Cause so it's, it's funny great. because they really do. They really don't mess with the main story much as no. much as they just kind of like, there's just a quick little interlude where it's Gonzo talking and some Muppet stuff and happens. Rizzo, and then yeah. it's back into the Charles Dickens stuff. You know I what know. I mean? It really I'm does. And, know me better, man. <laughs> and you made a good point where you're like, it doesn't shy away from the dark parts. Mm-hmm. And at some point we're, we're going to have to talk about that movie, uh, but like it doesn't shy away from the dark parts and you almost need Rizzo and Gonzo coming in with the levity because it does get, yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it gets dark. It's and fatiguing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a thing in there in that post that I posted talking about Michael Caine saying that when he signed up to do it, he was like, I'm going to play it straight. I'm not, there's not going to be a wink. Like I'm going to play it as if I am in the Royal Shakespeare company or whatever. And, it Boy, is the, absolutely the right move. It's 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 a truly fantastic. So we're paying homage today, uh, just briefly in both of our holiday episodes. <laughs> that, that version that is movie. so definitive that like when I watch another version and uh, <laughs> what's his name? Um, I can't remember the name of the guy that visits him to tell him that the three ghosts are coming. The guy in the chains. Yeah, Marley, whatever. Jacob Marley. When there's uh, when there's only when there's one Marley, one? it drives yes. me crazy. Dude, and same. I've had, I've had Marley and Marley stuck Marley in my head all Marley. day. Marley, yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're incredible like That's i really good. i don't know what it is i don't know what it is but that that movie i'll even like when special. i forget what their names are waldorf and something or like Sattler. The, yeah. Sattler and Sattler and waldorf is that yeah, it? you got it when they say them though i'm like no it's marley and marley <laughs> like every time i've heard them like you know the marley and marley guys yeah i think uh, that was why that was the first Muppet movie i think i watched in its entirety so going back and watching the other ones i'm like wait 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 his name is actually Waldorf, what is this? A salad? That's, I'll be honest, that's the only Muppet movie I've ever seen, except for the Jason Siegel one. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't want to talk about <laughs> this then because well, I could go on. For I have um, seen all I have seen all of them. I went through man, back when I was making movies my complete identity, I went through like all these phases where <laughs> I was like I watched every single John Hughes movie uh over the course of a week, and then I watched every single Muppet movie. I went through like a Jim Henson phase, period, like where I just was obsessed with him reading every book, watching every documentary, such an interesting guy, uh, in a dark, like a guy who is not scared of dark stuff. Like if like labyrinth black, uh, dark crystal. And then even the Muppets like this, like, you know, Muppet Christmas Carol. Speaking of the Jim Henson company and dark stuff, the new Pinocchio by Guillermo del Toro. Have you seen this yet? No, it's on Netflix with Tom Hanks. No. Uh, (laughs) and it is so good. Really? So did you watch the movie? Good. Yeah, it's a it's so it's all stop motion. It's on Netflix. What is happening? Uh, not the one with Tom Hanks. That one's a piece of crap. I've heard, and I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, I'm but, not going to watch it. Um, this one it sticks more. It's a darker version of the story to begin with, but it's very rooted in like there are so many uh, relevant references. Like I'll just say it that way. Like okay. the way that it gets into religion and politics and mm-hmm. family dynamics and stuff. It's like. It's tough. It's genuinely heartbreaking. Uh-huh. Um, but it's so first off, and it's like true, 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 true stop motion. Like you can pause any moment and you go like, that's just a picture. There is no yeah. CGI. There's like though they, they did it against the green screen. So that like the sky is CGI and stuff like yeah. that. But like you can see and you hear him talk about it in the featurette about how like he loves even like the look of those original stop motion ones where you can even see kind of some of the atmospheric dust and mm-hmm. stuff like that on the set, the way that it moves around, the way that the fur and the hair kind of like ruffles and glitches and stuff from picture to picture. And it's like genuinely beautiful. Uh, there's there's also a 30 minute featurette on Netflix that you can watch where they show you how you made oh, it and that's it, cool. how they made it. 
And that's like, I would almost watch that first because I watched clips of it that I was just seeing on TikTok mm-hmm. and then went and watched the movie and it was like so freaking special. But it's it's beautiful and it's dark and it's heartbreaking and it's funny. Like, it's just, I loved it. It was so good. I didn't even know that was a thing. This keeps happening where either I'm not paying attention or movies are just coming out and they're like, yeah, here, no fanfare, mm. just take it. And I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I am behind constantly, but it does feel like, like with the Fletch movie and stuff like that. It just clerks. It's just like, uh, here and it's out, you know, mm. even with the new knives out, I was like, wait, what, why is this in theaters for longer? Like uh, it was only in theaters for like a week and then it was on Netflix. And I was like, wait, what? You know? So yeah, well, it's yeah. going to be on Netflix. I think on Christmas, right? Oh, like that's the actual okay, release. It, it's it, not it. out yet. They just did a week in, in theaters. Okay. Um, I thought I missed it. More money. Um, right, right, right. Of course, of course, of course. But no, I don't. I don't think it's officially out yet, and I didn't see it in theaters. I don't like it. I want movies to stay. Man, when I was a kid, movies stayed in theaters for like six months. Sometimes <laughs> Jurassic well, Park was like in theaters for like six months. Pretty long. I think Are this they? one is literally just—it's a Netflix movie. Netflix produced that movie, so the fact okay. that they even got it in theaters for a week is a pretty big deal for Netflix. I think. Yeah. Um, but I do. I wish they would kind of pick one because it is yeah. a little like. I like being first to do it, but I'll be honest, and I don't love what this means for the for the <laughs> film industry. But if it's going to be on Netflix December 25th, I'm not going to go see it in theaters of November 23rd or whatever. I'm yeah. just going to wait and go see it on Netflix. It's like life is busy and I can watch it for free at home. Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to go do that. Yeah, that's the whole thing with, um, uh, you know, going to Fantastic Fest and, and them showing that Disney Plus show. It's like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? We could see it in three days. Okay, I'll wait three days. Yeah, yeah. or Hellraiser 18. <laughs> yeah, next week it'll be on Hulu. Or you can watch it with yeah, a bunch of uh, people who don't know how to use speed stick. Uh, you you choose. <laughs> <laughs> you choose, audience. Yeah, um, dude, we were the only three people who walked out of that Hellraiser showing. <laughs> and we happened to be lucky enough. We happy to be lucky enough to be in the theater with the director and the main, the main actor star. who plays yeah. uh, the Hell Priest or whatever. Yeah, um, they literally looked at us and said, uh, "Thanks, guys." <laughs> yeah, she did. As we, we walked out, out. She goes, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. I'm like, oh god. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for nothing, you thanks guys. Nothing. We were really hoping for something. I really, really wanted to be to be Glass Onion, so Noah Segan could be like, "Hey, hey Ryan Johnson." Yeah, yeah. That was really the only viable re- rumor I heard. People were like, "You know, Robert De Niro's in town." I was like, "You guys." Have you? I've never been to this festival before, but you have got <laughs> to get real. Yeah, <laughs> you've yeah. got Ke- to manage your expectations. Kevin Bacon barely wanted to be here, uh, and his daughter was in a movie. He, I don't think Robert De Niro is going to show up. Although Kevin Bacon seems to be doing whatever the hell he wants to do. Yeah, David so. Ferrier looked bored. You guys like <laughs> Robert De Niro's not showing up. I did pee next to David Ferrier. Shout out. That's true. You guys cross streams. <laughs> um, probably. Yeah, I was supposed know. to do in that. my mind. In it was my a mind. massive explosion. You really oh. shouldn't cross streams. Yeah. Listen, this is getting pornographic. I don't want to know about the. I don't, right. don't <laughs> want to know about the explosion. Um, but that was okay. a Ghostbusters reference. You. Yeah, well, oh yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that. Hey, you be a too. better man, Nick. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's a film club I can join. Hey, that was really dumb. I'm gonna edit that out. So this week, I'm very excited. Okay, I think on episode zero, I think it's Go been on. a long time. I think I mentioned it's been a while that I think I think <laughs> it's a wonderful I think it's a wonderful life is my choice for what is a perfect film. I think I think I think if it's not it was on did the we list. Ask that question on episode zero? Yeah, remember we 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 did the uh I do the, I don't remember the perfect film question. Yeah, we'd like what is a perfect what is you know what you know what I mean? Well it What's was some the best question movie. What's Maybe the best that's movie. objectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is objectively? What congratulations, you're right. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, oh yeah, sure. I was doing I was doing my uh, Roy Kent impression. Roy Kent. 
Greg Goldstein's like, hello, hi. <laughs> I really like my Muppets. We don't like we don't like being uh, negative. We don't like it. Fuck We're off. being such dickheads. <laughs> I love him so much. Um, if I had a number one choice for somebody to have on here, it would be him right now. Um, just because I'm making fun of him and I want right him to know I love him. But um, <laughs> a, a number two is David Ferrier because I want to know what he thought about peeing next to you. That's the only question I have for him. Good on you. But good on you. So, but this movie, uh, it, it's it's wild. And like, I grew up watching this movie. I watched it year round because we owned it. And it was this and Little Women were the Christmas movies that I watched year round. And Little Women's not technically a Christmas movie, but kind of is. Released in theaters at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I so I watched this movie like six or seven times a year. So coming back to it now, like I like we were just talking about this before we started, but like we neither of us have really sat down and watched this movie in a minute. It's wild to watch it, and we, we're going to go through it. If you haven't seen it, it's a Wonderful Life. Um, go watch it. Um, still amazing, but like man, watching it as a forty-year-old adult with two so children different. living life, it's wild. And also just having some like space and coming mm-hmm. into it. It's it's yeah, incredible. I what was your experience? Un- understand. I mean, for me, uh, we'll probably get into some of this stuff, but like I saw, we both saw this so much growing up. Yeah. Because the the copyright for this film lapsed in seventy four. So from seventy four yeah. to ninety four, it was completely free to show anywhere. And on our favorite channel on this podcast, TBS, the Superstation, the Superstation, they would literally do forty eight hour blocks. I remember them yeah. doing a week long block. Where it was like nothing but for the week leading up to Christmas. And it was just like, that was it. So it was always on and I was always watching it here and there. But like, so I'm honestly not sure when the last time was before this, this, this rewatch last week that I watched the whole thing through all the way. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not sure if I ever did, honestly, I, I thought that I had. Because it was always on and I was always always watching it. And I know that my family numerous times sat down to watch it. But I guess maybe I got up and I walked away or maybe I. But in general, yeah, I think that has. I didn't realize how real the themes of this movie are. Like I thought Mm -hmm. like not just interpersonally, like for uh, for Jimmy Stewart's character. um, Why can't I think of his name now? George Bailey. George Bailey. Thanks, bud. Uh, not just for George Bailey, where it's like the the pressures that he's dealing with and stuff like that. I do think like there is you just can't wrap your mind around that as an eight year old or even a 15 year old no. or even a 20 year old as no. much as you can. And, and later on in life in our, you know, now mid to late 30s, early 40s, like the way that you watch this now and you're like, hey, this that hurts. Like, mm-hmm. I know the pain of 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 giving up a dream. I know the pain of sacrificing something. I know the weight of responsibility and uncertainty and all that kind of like there's so much realness in that that hit me. But yeah. the other side of that that I, I don't think I picked up on the first time was just the. Um, I, I don't know how else to say this. This feels like the weird way to label it, but like the sociopolitical mm-hmm. angle on like. Mm-hmm who George Bailey was in his community, who Potter was in his community and what exactly is at risk here. You know what I mean? It was for a film that came out in 1947. This was a bold film. socio, like in terms of it's like social politics, you know, not only that, it was not only that it was flagged by the FBI because there's a whole article I read today about how it's flagged by the FBI because it's George Bailey's character speaking up against big banks. And a lot of the language that he used and Frank Capra wrote into this script was used by communists at the time. And so it was flagged and submitted to the review of like some, some film board 
to like that, rem- yeah. to remove it and like there's a few different times we talked about a couple different movies back to the future being one home alone being another one where it's like these movies should not like it was plagued from the jump it should not have gotten made mm-hmm. let alone have stood the test of time this well like it's it's shocking watching it now just how riveting it is to me i know i know they're they're the detractors and the haters out there but like to me it's so riveting it's such a slice of americana like it it takes it has the audacity especially now like it takes its time it really does and like and we always think about this movie as being the movie where the guy is living this life and he's having all these troubles and then he's shown by an angel how his life could have been and then it comes back that's the last 15 minutes of the movie of a two hour and and 30 minute movie yeah is it okay two hour and 10 minute movie that's wild like like the the third it's two hours is it's uh, two hours of george bailey getting the shit kicked out of it oh for sure like it's just the worst life ever (laughs) it's 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 a man like working his ass off for very little like reciprocation for very little reward but because he has he has morals and he has um integrity and he has what he believes in and it's like well for what and like you kind of were like yeah for what what are you doing this for so that's the thing you know this movie is seen as like a holiday classic let's get the movie around the family around and watch it especially for 1946 um there are so many dark things that happen in this movie this man's life is really sad (laughs) he does the right thing at every turn and is punished for it i also love (laughs) time and time again like for, for for a movie that is essentially about we we watch all of the like when you're watching the film you it, you just go through George Bailey's life and it's like here's this young kid with all this potential he's popular mm-hmm. he's everyone loves him all the girls want to be with him all the guys seem to gravitate towards him all this stuff when he's in like college and graduating when he's younger all that stuff and it's just like everything keeps going wrong for him mm-hmm. and then at the same way it's like you look back and I know the whole point of the film is you see how like everything that was going wrong was actually something that was going right in a different through from a different yeah. perspective or something that, you know, but it's like the film itself really was that way as well. Like mm-hmm. we are watching this, like what we think is this beautiful movie. And it's like, I read, Oh, you know, like all, there's so many facts about this film. I was reading, uh, like catching up to remember what they all were. And one of the first ones that jumped out to me was the fact that this movie started as a Christmas card. Did you read about that? Yeah, it's like a pamphlet or something, right? So basically, yeah, Philip Van Doren Stern was trying. It was a, it was a short story called The Greatest Gift. And he was shopping around a bunch of publishers and no one would publish it. No one wanted it. Mm-hmm. So one year he just decided, like, screw it. I'm just going to send this out as Christmas cards. So he printed up 200 copies of the story, sent them out as a 21 page Christmas Christmas card and David Hempstead was a producer at RKO Pictures. He got a hold of the Christmas card and he purchased the movie rights for 10 grand. Never got in 1940, kids. like five or six, which was yeah. like an insane amount of money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's like this guy trying to make a short story. And then on top of that, my favorite was uh, there's a quote from Jimmy Stewart, because apparently, like when Frank Capra pitched it to him. He was like talking to him about the movie. And again, we have it in our heads of it's the movie about Clarence who comes back and shows George Bailey what his life could have been. That's not what the movie is. That happens for 15 minutes. The movie is just about George Bailey's horrible life and how he's a great guy and how everything keeps going wrong for him. Dude, I well, I, I cried for two hours. Like I just yeah. sat and yeah. it was it was a constant state of tears in my eyes while I watched mm-hmm. it this last time. But um, Frank Capra, there was a quote where he was he said uh, Jimmy Stewart's telling this story. Now he was like, Capra finished pitching it and he said, this really doesn't sound that good, does it? <laughs> Jimmy Stewart said, Frank, if you want me to be in a picture about a guy who wants to kill himself and an angel comes down named Clarence who can't swim and I save him, when do we start? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the most George Bailey thing it to is, say ever. Really, 
George Bailey is the most Jimmy Stewart character. Easily. Like, yeah. It's like the, the circumstances of his life are different, but in terms of just like the character, it's just Jimmy Stewart on screen, which is part of why he's so compelling, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, rewatching it this last time, man, it blew my mind. Like, I just didn't realize how. Yeah, it really is. The movie is. And there is something too. It's interesting because I, I was also raised with the other Frank Capra movie that everybody knows, which is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is a lot of the same cast as this movie. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Stewart. In between Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and It's a Wonderful Life, World War II happens. And both Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart are in World War II. And if you watch that movie, it, it's only six years in between. Um, it, it, he looks like he Jimmy Stewart is aged 10 at least. Like you really, There is a grit on him that, that comes through that, that you can really tell. 100%. Like both Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart saw some shit. Like the, the whole country did. And I mean, we'll get to it. I, I, I mean, we always say that we're like, why don't we just talk about it now? Um, but like this movie was an independent film. It was, it was uh, funded by Frank Capra because nobody wanted to make this movie and he lost so much money on it. Dude, $525,000 he lost in 1946. Film. And they talk about it in this but movie. Like it's a billion dollars now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it, it costs five thousand dollars to buy a house in 1946. They talk about it in this movie a few times because it's all about loaning, mm-hmm. uh, loaning money to people to for to them to start their lives. Like that is how many houses is that? It's wild. It's wild. And it, it was, but the thing is, like, thank God because this movie is true to his vision and had very little like uh, studio heads or anybody making any script notes. You can, it, it is. This movie would have been sh- like cut to pieces. There, mm. there was, there were so many parts of the original story. It would have made it a, a cheesy Hollywood schlock. Like the the Mr. Potter was made even even to more of a villain where he didn't even need to be. Like uh, where he was just more of a, a mustache twirling villain, um, just meddling in his life, mm-hmm. George Bailey's life the whole time. It's like it's unnecessary. Um, there's so many things where you're. It, 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 I think the, the nuances would have been robbed from this film if yeah. it would have been made even ten years later. But um, I, I think it really did land with audiences because. Thank goodness the the copyright got lifted and it was just shown so many times because so many people didn't see it because this was also made in a time where like it, it came out in the movie theater and then it was gone and then you might maybe never saw it again unless it was Wizard of Oz yeah. or something <clears throat> that came back every year. Um, but I mean, the the advent of the of American television and households really brought a lot of the these catalogs back to life and, and this being one of them. And thank goodness, like I, I can't. I don't know who I would be if this movie wasn't a part of my story. Like it really did yeah. make me fall in love with movies uh, as a kid. Cause I didn't know you could do this. Like I didn't yeah. know you could tell, like when I was a kid, I watched like star Wars and you know, sister act or something every once in a while. It was like the fact that you could like tell a story like this. Well, and that's is so thing. unique. Like it made me value. I think part of the reason why I haven't rewatched it is even you and I being from like a generation that, like we didn't have tablets in our childhood or smartphones or mm-hmm. any, you know what I mean? Like anything like that. Um, it's still very hard to appreciate movies that look like this one. It's still like your, your mm-hmm. default in your brain goes, that's an old boring movie when you see it. Cause it's <laughs> yeah. like old movies are boring. And yeah, most of them are, I'll be honest, blasphemy. I know, but like the first couple, like the original star Wars trilogy, parts of it are hard for me to watch anymore. Yeah. They're kind of, they're the, kind the, of slow. The, the pacing is not, it's, it's tough. But it's like, and because of that, you see this. And I remember as a kid being kind of bored through It's a Wonderful Life. 
mm -hmm. uh, through parts of it because I didn't understand the depth and the meaning of it. This last time, like I said, man, I was, I'm not kidding. I had my hood up the whole time. I was sitting on the couch next to Kate and I was just like in a constant state of tears. She just kept checking wow. in on me. Not like sobs, but like they were yeah, always like, yeah. behind my eyes or coming out. Like, you know what I mean? It was just like, mm -hmm. and then even when it ended, we just kind of sat there and talked for like an hour, like just kind of cuddling on the couch because it like, mm -hmm. it really, really rocked us. But watching this now, I was like, man, this is, there is not a bad scene in this movie. No. It doesn't stop. The pacing is phenomenal. Um, and I don't remember it being that way. Literally from the get-go to, to start off the kid who plays young George Bailey. Yeah. Incredible actor. He's so good. He's so good. I don't even know. Have you looked him up? Did he do anything else other than this? No, I'll, I'll look it up. Keep talking. Um, I was blown away when we were watching that scene. I remembered always liking that kid. Uh, that's my story or Mr. Gower, you know, and he's like, yeah, getting all like freaked out about it and stuff like that. But like, it's saying it's, he's going to have two or three harems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's really got like, it's, it's one scene. That's all yeah. we see him. I guess you see him briefly on the ice. But aside from that, right. I don't even know if that's the same actor. I can't remember. But it's one scene when know. he's in the drugstore with Mr. Gower and Mary comes in and then Violet comes in. and They're kind of fighting over him in the background. He puts the little candle and he's like, I wish I had a million bucks. Hot dog. Hot like dog. That whole, and you're like, OK, whatever. Like it was such a throwaway scene. But like he really is like it's he's a good child actor. It's not like I always yeah. think of. um uh what's her name oh i can't oh vanessa bayer how she did the child yeah. actor character on uh, mm -hmm. which so was good. such a funny and so <laughs> accurate but like he he was excellent there really aren't any like um there's there's very little like mugging for the camera and stuff like mm -hmm. that in this movie it was pretty freaking great i think the three of them too like even young um mary in this is they just feel like real kids. It feels mm -hmm. like, like when she's like George Bailey, I love you till the day I die. Like it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And even when young Violet, when she says like, you like every boy, what's mm -hmm. wrong with that? Like there's, <laughs> it feels so natural. It doesn't feel like they're acting. It's these kids are incredible. And they could, and this was the time of like, Little Rascals and stuff. They can be like, ah, shucks, mister. Like, you know. You know what's so funny? You mentioned Little Rascals. Do you know the Little Rascals trivia about this movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'll say it since I brought it up. We just try to best each other here. Um, we'll get to it. We'll get to it when we get to that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't Google it. Um, oh. don't, don't 30 second ahead, uh, listener. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, from the get go, that early scene with like young George, he's like, he's a compelling little actor. And it's also Mr. Gower is doing such mm -hmm. a good job. Um, you almost kind of forget. I think when someone is playing, we talked about this on another podcast, but when someone is doing drunk, well, yeah, you just kind of assume that's how they are, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but you see that character play a few other like play his character a few different ways throughout the film, Mr. Gower. And mm -hmm. like, he's, he's nailing it early on when they're doing that drunk thing. I just, I yeah. feel like we always look back at this time, like Conan O'Brien does his like, Hey, see, and he talks about, about movies yeah. from this time, how they all sound that way. But it's really like, no, I mean the mid Atlantic accent is real, but yeah. outside of that, like there was some real acting happening. Uh, yeah, like this is, this movie is acted excellently across the board, you know, it is. And a lot of these people, including, uh, Lionel Barrymore, who, uh, who is like Hollywood royalty, literally one of the first on screen actors ever. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he, uh, you know, the, a lot of the old, the older actors in this especially are like trained from the stage. So they, mm -hmm. they know how to play, which, you know, I think it's so interesting. You can tell a lot of that old style acting are like ah oh, see like they're playing in the back of the room yeah that's why they're so loud and everybody's so like emphatic 
but um you really do see like oh these people have been doing this for a very long time mm-hmm. and it it's just so it's so it it's so old timey and fun to watch because you're like the whole time I'm watching it I at least at the beginning I'm like I'm watching an old timey movie and then and then at some point it just sucks you in and uh, really and I think does. that's that shows I think why it's so different from a lot of the other movies of the era um, especially Jimmy Stewart like there's a moment where he's in a bar uh, and he, when he's thinking because this movie is literally about a man who who life keeps taking him on the chin and he and he thinks about taking his own life and then he jumps off a bridge before he can jump off a bridge. He, uh, a guardian angel does it. Uh, and then it's basically saves his life. Like that's essentially like the, the, the back of the DVD box, um, a, a description of this movie, but there is a point when George Bailey is in this bar and you, you're like, this man is distraught. Like there's no acting happening here. This is literally Jimmy Stewart thinking about his life or something. Cause how, you know, like, uh, you know, it, thinking, especially like this is acting screen acting, especially like early on. I mean, there isn't a lot to base it on. Like, you know, actors now have a hundred years of stuff to, to be like, Oh, I was inspired by acting by yeah. this way, this way, this way. Like this dude is just, it's, it's about as raw as we see acting in this, in this era of yeah. film. It really was. It was really raw and it was really subtle. And I think the subtlety, like you were mm. saying earlier, like you're used to people playing to the back of the room during this era of film, but there was very little of that in this. Like there was a, mm-hmm. a strong, which is impressive given that like so much of it was acted outside and like, that's hard to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, incredible. It was so good. I, I think again, for me, we can, well, let's, let's even just get into the parts that we like, cause I'll skip ahead too far. But so like opening up, we see him as a kid. Uh, we see him, um, say, stop Mr. Gower from giving the, the, the poison pills to someone and kind of save mm-hmm. that. And then we flash forward again and he's graduating. Uh, he's in college. I think he's taking a year off from college. He's getting ready yeah. to take a year off from college to go travel the world and everything. And we've got that great dance scene. He goes back to the, yeah. the dance at, at his, uh, at his school, old the, high school, the old high school and everything like that. Um, such a fun scene. Like it really is. So such a, you're just like, I want to like this. I feel this I energy. It feels like the end of the year. We're all graduating. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's so happy. He really is. I forgot how much they make him out to be like the man. Yeah. Like, you know what he I mean? Like all the girls at that dance want to dance with him. Guys are trying to get their sisters to dance with him. Like, I know they're like, dude, dude, dude. That's a mark it, of a guy who is the man. When there's <laughs> dudes being like, dude, dance with my sister. You know, like, it, it's, it's, it's important to note also, like he has as a child, fell through the ice and saved his brother, Harry, which is, which sets uh, a bunch of events going forward, saves his little brother, Harry. And because of that, he's lost hearing in one of his ears. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's one tragedy after another like that. Like he does something. I, I noticed that this time, like he does something noble and he loses something because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, little by little, like this, this town is chipping away. Cause it's a guy who just wants to escape a guy who just wants to, he, he he likes where he was raised. It's fine, but he he wants to not be his dad, even though he idolizes his dad. It's little details like that. This man idolizes his dad. Both of the kids idolize the dad, but they both don't want to be him. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that's really like, oh, interesting. They could have easily made that like, oh, our dad's a piece of work. We know we don't want to be here. Like, let's get out. Let's escape it from this town. But the town isn't bad. It's just small. It's limiting. And it's this whole grand, like, especially post-World War II of like, we won the war, we can, what, next up the moon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this whole, like, the whole country was was on the on their high horse about like, you know, we took down this great power in Europe. Now, where, where, who do we conquer next? Like, what's next? It really is the beginning of like, 
like American imperialism of like, it let's really take is. over the world. Like really this whole is. thing. And, and, and everybody was high on that supply in the, in the Dude, country. Not just that. I mean, like that supply took us through until about until like 2008. Like when yeah, we talk about like American imperialism and just that like that 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 big dick energy that like America <laughs> has operated mm-hmm. with for the last 50 years. I mean, like that's coming out of World War Two. The economy was literally just up and up and up yeah. and up and up and up. And I think that's part of why even in the 80s and the 90s when we were watching this in the 70s, when our parents were watching this in the 80s, it's like wrapping your brain around. So. All that we can come back to some of these scenes and everything, but like what you're talking, he he falls through the ice, he saves his brother, he stops Mr. Gower from giving the poison pills. He's at that high school dance and he's hanging out with Mary that night and having this great night. And he gets word that his father had a stroke, mm-hmm. has to rush home to be with his father. Flash forward again, his father's dead and he has had to, his father passes away. And George Bailey stays behind just for he just skips his summer plans, stays behind to help with the building and loans, which his father was like. I don't, I don't was it his building and loans or he was the, yeah. he was on the, it's it was, the Bailey building alone yeah. the Bailey building alone so it's like he stays behind to like get things sorted out because Mr. Potter's trying to get this thing shut down now this is the key and we can rewind and talk about yeah, really totally. great scenes here Keep in a minute going. but this is the key conflict through the entire thing is Mr. Potter versus the Bailey savings and building alone <laughs> what is that get us a discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute, just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny-ante building alone, I'll never know. But... Neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Probably... Here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't make them better customers? You, you said that they... What'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait? Wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I, you're the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. That was hard to wrap your brain around, even, I feel like, as an adult in the 80s. Yes. There was so much abundance throughout the 80s, especially. And it's like, that's the decade that we were born into. That's the decade that our parents, yeah. like, they bought houses for less than we bought cars for. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not yeah. just that, but like the the rate that like the housing market has inflated, it's like twenty or thirty times what actual mm-hmm. inflation has been. And so it's not it's not mm-hmm. even just people like, well, inflation, like that's what houses used to cost. It's just inflation. No, it's not. The housing market 
it's insane now. And so I feel like there's even more of an appreciation when you realize it's not Mr. Potter versus the building and uh, the Bailey building yeah. alone. What it is is a slumlord who wants to keep driving prices up, keep people from owning anything, make them yes. beholden to him. It's a, keep them in a cycle of poverty, mostly minorities keeping them in a cycle mm-hmm. of poverty. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a man that like there, when there, you see these scenes, like I forget that the first family we actually see George Bailey help get into his house is Martini. Um, and it's like when again for me growing up Italian, i own my own house I own my own house like <laughs> growing up for me like this sounds funny but italians weren't minorities or immigrants no, no. like and now even i'm not saying that they're not because that's reductive i know that there is a that they have their yeah, own yeah, experience yeah. in this country i don't mean it that way but like if you are to second or third generation Italian in this country, you're white for the most part. Totally. And I'm not taking away your ethnic identity from you. I can't stand it when people do that. And I'm not saying yeah. you don't get to claim that identity. I'm saying when you walk into Hobby Lobby as a third or fourth generation Italian, you don't get followed around the way I get followed around. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That happened to me and Kate this weekend. Wow. Um, I swear to God, it's always Hobby Lobby too. Screw those people. I can't stand it. Every time I walk in, there's some white lady follows me around with her perm asking if she can help me 30 times um mm-hmm. i have tattoos i'm not stealing your garland <laughs> like chill <laughs> anyway uh she's just doing her job racistly but um mm-hmm. but yeah so i forget because i go like in my little you know eight ten year old brain italians aren't immigrants italians aren't yeah. minorities i don't even i'm not even thinking about it that way but it's not just that george bailey's helping break a cycle of poverty it's that like he's doing it for 1947 when this movie came out like if we remake that film today mm-hmm. this is a guy working in my neighborhood in oak cliff dallas helping uh black and brown families own their own homes for the first time when they're coming off of you know six seven generations in this country being beholden to rent working minimum wage jobs not being able to break that cycle he's coming in and giving them loans that no bank would ever dream of approving for them so that they can own a piece of land and build generational wealth and that is the thing that like i don't think i ever wrapped my mind around that until this viewing and it wrecked me like seeing that scene i skipped way far ahead i know no you're good but like when he's helping martini and all that and they go to his house and they hold up the bread and they're like bread that this house may never know hunger wine that they, it'll, they'll always know joy. salt that you'll always have flavor it's just like man this is this guy is in the trenches with mm-hmm. the most uh overlooked demographics you Absolutely. know what i mean and that to yeah, me was like man. for that to be in a movie in 1947 like that's bold you know i read a th- i read a thing today that said that that was a little bit of a, a stance like because italians were seen as these like minorities these this ethnic group which i makes sense because my grandfather i am two generations removed from my grandfather uh who was a lithuanian immigrant mm-hmm. uh hated the irish and the italians they were they were just as other um to him as like black people mm-hmm. or indian people or Chinese people, whatever. Like he, he was like, he was a true white American and, and Italians and Irish were, you know, whatever the stereotypes were attached to them. Um, it was, it was, there was that, and he would talk about it like in, when I was a kid in the eighties, like he was like, I can't, I can't trust that person. Cause they have an Italian last name. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Have you had pizza? Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> this is incredible. Um, but, but yeah, so that, that was kind of seen as like, you're right if it was made today it would be george bailey helping black around people Mm -hmm. um people who are who are 
systematically put down because of of their their race 100%. And I I love that part. I love that also he helps out like small business owners because Martini also is the guy who owns the bar. Like he is, mm-hmm. I mean, when I was a kid, I think I thought Martini and Mr. Gower were the same person. I didn't, everybody, every old person was just inter- interchangeable. Um, but there, there is this, this movie is, it's so funny. There's so many parts of this where I'm like, Oh, that's what this is about. Cause it is about big banks and little banks. It's like the war of banks, which is really funny. Like, and it's compelling as shit. Like it's really like the bank run scene is, is, is one of the best scenes in the movie. Like, Jimmy Stewart really has some pages and pages of, of like some, some dialogue, some like really impassioned speeches mm-hmm. in this movie that like are incredible. Um, well, and it really, the, co- sorry, go on. No, I was going to say like, so Mr. Potter is, there's a couple of interesting parallels I noticed with Mr. Potter, who, who basically is just a smart businessman. He is a dick, but he's just a smart businessman who is like, who's trying to, to, to yes, it is a, a metaphor for like how big business is going to, shut down small town America um, very quickly, but it, it's just, he's trying to make a lot of money for the town, but mo- because he wants to be the town and he sees basically George Bailey, who doesn't want to be the town is the town. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And everybody looks to him because they know that his heart is pure and he looks out for the little guy. Um, but, and it's so interesting because George Bailey wants to, he talks about it at the beginning so much. He wants to like the, my favorite scene in this whole movie, one of my favorite scenes in cinema is when he's talking to Mary on their way home from the dance after they fall into the pool. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to shake the dust of this crummy little town on my feet. And I'm going to see the world. Like I'm going to build skyscrapers. I'm going to build bridges a million, a mile long. Like I'm going to do amazing things. Yeah. Basically what he wants to be is essentially Mr. Potter. And I think that's what he's fighting the whole time is like, I want to be the successful businessman who can like make incredible things happen with money. And that's so Mr. Good. Potter is that. And he kind of hates that because he's also his dad. And, he, and th- so the parts of himself that he's fighting it, cause there's literally a scene in it where Mr. Potter's like, sees that. And he's like, I'll give you the life you want. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. up two or three times a year. You, you buying your wife, nice jewelry. And you can see him. He's smoking this cigar and he's like, yes this is everything i wanted and he's like no like i I, it's that that crossroads like you know what i'm saying so the whole time i'm watching it now with that with that point of view where i'm like oh my gosh he's literally there's a physical manifestation of who he could become and he's constantly fighting whether he respects this guy and he kind of wants to be him or he's fighting against him um because potter is is kind of the classic villain in this film but i mean he's also kind of a a if everything went wrong kind of version, like back to the future to like yeah, this yeah, future, yeah, yeah. he is Potter in a way. Cause everything he's talking about, I guarantee you Potter used to be that guy too. Man, you that's know? so good. I honestly never thought of it that way. Like when you said that, when you were saying like, he wants to go do what Potter is doing. Kind of does. I genuinely, uh, it feels so obvious now to say that, but when you think about it, it's like, well, they, they had the same skill set and the same opportunity. Yeah. And the only difference is when we say like, that life dealt George Bailey a really rough hand and kept taking things away from him. It really didn't. Mm -hmm. George Bailey didn't have to stay behind and help everybody. Uh, George Bailey didn't have to when his, uh, that was one of the hardest scenes. He gets married and they're leaving for their honeymoon and they have all this money. They have like $2,000, which is an insane amount of money. Um, Yeah. Uh, him and his wife and they're going and he's like we're gonna only the finest restaurants and the blah 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 and i don't Ugh. remember where they're going but they're traveling somewhere exotic and they're gonna have this incredible time it's gonna make up for the trip that he never took it's gonna be like yeah. his life is finally starting yes. and uh 
Mr. Potter calls uh, the the loan due on the the Bailey building and loan, and people start realizing, oh, we have all of our money in this bank and the building and loan, um, and they're about to be broke. And so, what's going to happen to our money? We're going to be screwed. And so he shows up, and I love this. This was brilliant. This scene was incredible. Now listen to me. I, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and loan, there'll never be another decent house bill in this town. He's already got charge of the bank, he's got the bus line, he got the department stores, and now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple, because we're cutting in on his business, that's why. And because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments? Well, you didn't lose your house, did you? You think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling, Potter's buying. And why? Because we're panicky and he's not, that's why. He's picking up some bargain. Now, we, we can get through this thing, all right. We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I got doctor bills to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have... How much do you need? Hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over until the bank reopens. I'll take $242. There you are. That'll close my account. Your account's still here. That's a loan. Okay. All right, Ed. Well, I got $300 here, George. All right, now, Ed, what will it take until the bank opens? What, what do you need? Well, I, I suppose... Twenty dollars? Twenty dollars. Now you're talking. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right. Now, Miss Thompson, how much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. Never mind about that. How much do you want well, now? I can get along with twenty, all right. Twenty dollars. Fine. And I'll sign there the paper. You, you don't have to sign anything. I know you. You pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Could I have seventeen fifty? That's your heart. Of course you can have it. You got fifty cents. Here's what I love. Here's what the scene could have been, and it would have been so powerful. Would have been for George Bailey to go in there and go we'll tell you what i've got this money right here how much do you need how much do you need how much do you need and hand that money out but that's not what happens he goes in there and he is trying to talk everyone off the ledge and his wife mary behind him she holds up the money and she's the one who is like and i thought that was such a brilliant deal in the screenplay that like the the difference between this being a story about a man who put everyone before his family and that could lead to resentment versus a story about a man who just exudes um, empathy and uh, care for the people around him. And that is contagious. That makes the people around him also want to do that. That made Mary volunteer their money and, and sacrifice their honeymoon. That made other people go, I want all my money out. And some of them were like, honestly, I can get by with seventeen fifty. I can get by with $12. I can get by with this. I can get because his generosity is rubbing off on them. You know what I mean? The town is basically looking to Potter. They're like, I think Potter might be the future, but George Bailey is, is our heart. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, what do we do? And, and, and at every turn, Potter is trying to turn the town into him where it's like, Hey, look out for yourself. Like you can't trust anybody else. Like look out for your bottom line. The only, the only color that matters in life is green. He's like left and right. And, and, and that that is a perfect scene of like they look to George Bailey and he reminds them like listen yeah like you know he's like these people that do the living and dying and breathing in this town like you know like it's you like we can't let him get a hold of us we can't let him like 
appeal to the part of us that forgets that we are a community. Yeah. Like, we only win if all of us win. It's so powerful. That scene. And when, when he's like, he's like, it's, it's in your house and Mrs. Dakin's house and this one and this one, and this Money's one. Like, not yeah. Gone. yeah. That's yeah, so it's good. Not, oh God. It's so good. And Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart is, has never been better. And really I don't think hasn't. this is like, this Few people the, have ever been better than Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life. And that's no like, joke. is Dana Carvey has done a disservice to Jimmy Stewart? He's such a great impression. I love his I know, impression. I know, of him. I know. It's hilarious. But like, his like, it's so clownish that I think that we've yeah. forgotten how, how much of a great actor, how much like humanity there is mm-hmm. in Jimmy Stewart's performances. It's so good. It's, it, um, Something else that I think while you were saying all of that, when you made the comparison to like George Bailey and Mr. Potter in this movie, the essentially the fact that they really are two sides of the same coin. You know what I mean? Uh, It's just the fact that like George actively made the choice to go like, well, no, then I'm going to do what's right. I don't I want to be Mr. Potter. He wants to be big and successful and have his name in lights Mm -hmm. and do all this stuff. And when George talks about it, it's coming from this positive place and it sounds so good. Right. Like I I'll be honest, I live in the lowest income zip code in Dallas, Texas. Um, it's the hood and we love mm-hmm. it here, but it's the hood, uh, lowest income zip code, fastest appreciating zip code in Dallas, Texas. And that's a little concerning, right? Because my, me and my, my, my wife, we bought a house here. We've planted roots here. We, uh, we plan on being a part of Oak cliff and staying a part of this community. Oak cliff Dallas is a really historical community. Um, you can look it up. It's been very important to, um, a lot of very important things have happened around uh, uh, race and segregation and gentrification, all that kind of stuff in this neighborhood. It's really kind of pioneered a lot of what has happened in the rest of the city. But it um, it's very easy for me to get excited when people go, hey, you know, there's a such and such coming in down the road. Hey, you know, like if someone told me, hey, you know, there's going to be a Whole Foods is coming in on Jefferson. Oh, mm-hmm. thank God. I don't have to drive to Uptown anymore to go to Whole Foods. And those sound like positive things. I'm excited yeah. for the convenience and the niceness and the niceties and the blah. And it's very easy to watch this movie and make Mr. Potter out to be a scumbag. But dude. Whole Foods is owned by Amazon and Jeff Bezos is a piece of shit. Like yeah. he's not a good guy. There are yeah. no good billionaires. I'll die on that hill. There isn't yeah, one. Same. I'm not saying there's no good rich people, but billionaires, billionaires. are evil. You don't get make that amount of money by being a good person or making good Agreed. decisions. And so it's like putting that in our perspective, you go like, oh, this is George Bailey is asking the community to sacrifice comfort uh, in some areas to sacrifice the immediate gratification in certain areas for mm-hmm. progress. This is where I always get, I'm going to, I'm going to get off my political soapbox in a minute, but I get no, very frustrated when people talk about the two kind of general buckets of politics being um, conservatism and liberalism. I don't think that being progre- progressive is the same thing as being liberal. And that's a very key distinction. People like will talk to me. I I, uh, I have a lot of very conservative friends. Like, oh, yeah, Dave's super liberal. I'm not liberal. I'm progressive. And the difference is liberal, you know, like um, so like a libertarian is liberal. They believe in like, hey, live and let live. As long as you're not bothering me, you go do your thing and I'll do my thing. And we blah, 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 small government, blah, you know, that whole deal. That sounds very nice and that sounds very appealing. The problem with that is that like people need help. George Bailey was a man of means. He doesn't look like it in this movie because he gives everything away to people who have nothing. He has 
he actually has an insane amount. He has quite a bit compared to Martini. Mm. He has quite a bit compared to so many people in this film. The reason that they live in this stupid old house is because he gives it all away for the yeah. sake of progress. And I do think that like this is a movie that is so valuable for young kids because it's not just talking about like conservatism. We want to conserve, right? Like the the structures that are in place because they serve us. Um, well, you could say the liberals, they just want to do away with those structures. And, they, and it's like, no, 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 there, there's, there's an in-between here where we're saying somebody who is thinking progressively about their community is willing to make sacrifices themselves for the progress of the whole. You know what I mean? It's not mm -hmm. socialism. It's not communism. It's not any of that stuff. But it, it's such a beautiful picture of what progress takes right like it's going to take me sacrificing my whole foods down the street because that's not progress for the community that's progress for mm -hmm. me i don't have to drive as far to get the whey protein that i buy right yeah but what does that mean about like the family who owns the business is going to get bulldozed and the generational wealth that is no longer possible for that family anymore anyway i'm on this whole yeah. soapbox but no, like it's good these are just things that like when this movie came out in 47, again, I don't think that like capitalist greed was something people understood because when you're coming out of a war, when you're in a war, the, the, the war is good for the economy and everyone's saying like, Hey, give everything, give everything, give everything, give everything to the government. The government's good. Trust us, trust big companies. They're going to get us through this war. Right. Mm -hmm. Coming out of that, you're like, we just beat the Nazis. This is awesome. There is yeah. very little it's, you can't really see the fingerprints of capitalist greed on the country yet. Watching this in 2022, capitalist greed is destroying everything. The rich mm -hmm. are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. The middle class are getting poorer. Like, you know what I mean? The middle class mm -hmm. is disappearing. And this movie suddenly is like so, so, so powerful when you see like it's a movie about a man standing up to what it seems like are impossible institutions to stand up to. This is this is what is so interesting. Okay, so if you ask my kids who are, you know, they're they're little, they but they they watch Christmas movies. What the what a definitive Christmas movie is. They say Elf. They're like yeah, Christmas yeah. and then number 2 maybe Home Alone because I showed them that and they love that. But like or, or The Grinch. This in my lifetime, It's a Wonderful Life was the definitive Christmas film. Mm -hmm. It is wild watching this movie which is socio-political, which is about like it is about the uh, the um, what you were just talking about. It is mm -hmm. it is this this civil war of America. It is this crossroads of America where it's like, okay, who are we gonna be? Are we gonna be this capitalist society that's like, you know what? We have the ability to make all this money. Let's just see how rich we can get. Or are we gonna be George Bailey, who's like, you know what? We have the ability to make all this money. But who we are is the kind of person who would make all this money and then give it away to the people who who need it. So because they don't have that opportunity because of the color of their skin or where they where they originated from or whatever. It is both in this movie. It really and it's is. like Frank Capra knew that. It, like it really is like he was paying attention and he was like, I'm gonna show America what the two sides are here. And living in 2022, I I feel like that debate is still happening. I feel like we lived on the fatted calf for so long and we're like, this is never going to end. And and then mm -hmm. something happened. And especially like in the last 10 years, especially since 2008, since the housing crisis, we've been in this place where we're like, okay, so now what do we do? We can't go back. So where do we go forward from here? And you know, it, it's so interesting because I'm, I'm, I might be speaking a little bit in generalities here, but it's an hour and a half podcast. So <laughs> get off my dick, but there's, I feel like, we are in the place now where where Republicans are like, 
or the the right conservatives are like, yay, <laughs> like Mr. Potter, let's vote him in office. And 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 the liberals are like, or the, the progressives are like, yeah. yeah, but what about Bernie, Bernie Sanders and AOC and all these people over here are 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 George Bailey. And it's so funny because this is my mom's favorite movie of all time, and she's it's wild conservative Christian, and she still sees the 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 conservative Christians in this country as George Bailey, and I'm like things have change it's crazy they so. see these dude i'm and i'll say it because i don't think we really care on this podcast so i don't i don't mind alienating some of these listeners but like th- those same parents also see jesus as a republican and that's yeah, the thing where yeah. i go like these are conservative christian republican boomer parents that grew up sh- teaching us about uh um you know a um brown man from the middle east who gave everything away gave everything to the poor didn't believe in big government didn't believe Mm -hmm. in institutions and religion and somehow wrapped this weird religion around it that tells us what to do and where to go and how to be and all that other kind of stuff and then showed us movies like this where a guy Mm -hmm. it's not a socialist manifesto it's not a communist manifesto this is george bailey is a guy who believes in the free market and leverages it for the less fortunate Mm -hmm. and it's like i don't think there's anything wrong with capital but it takes the people in position of power to say, hey, I, who understand how to navigate this system, I'm going to leverage this system for the people mm-hmm. who, who it does not benefit inherently, you know, and it's yeah. so wild to me that like Thanksgiving and Christmas are so tense because so many of you yours and my generation of our generation have to go to dinners with their families where they have these staunchly different beliefs and the parents are going like i can't but why do you believe this how do you think this way it's like are you kidding me Mm. you had this hippie jesus guy telling me to give all my money away and like give stuff to the poor and be kind to the least of these and then george bailey's telling me that like potter is bad and it's better for us to like own the land that we live on and maybe not have as as many bright lights around us but like value community and and generational Mm -hmm. wealth and all this stuff and it's like you taught us this stuff guys Mm -hmm. (laughs) you like you not just taught us this stuff but like in one of the in some of the most romantic ways told us these like pivoting since we are a podcast about uh about being better men mm-hmm. this is such an interesting i i would i would be so sad if it if it didn't we didn't talk about this a little bit but this is basically the plight of the american man because it's like listen you like the promise of the american man uh is you can be whatever you want mm. and you but but also so like the young american man without any kind of like george bailey he's He's going to go to college. He's going to conquer the world. He has no kids or wife yet. He's just like idealistic to, to the nth degree. And then he gets in there and he's like, Oh no, but now I have obligations. So now I have choices to make. And it's this whole, like, and I feel like it is such a, like, even in the eighties and nineties, like so many movies were made about this, this idea that like, like, yes, you can be whatever you want to be, but with stipulations, because you are now beholden to like, what, but what about your dad? He, he built up this business. Yeah. Like, who's going to take it over? If you don't, he's going to die. Like, and you can't count on your brother. Like, what do you, you know, you guys are going to shoulder the blame together, you know, shoulder the weight of this together. Oh, oh so your brother's going to go to college and then he's going to come back and take over. And then you're going to go to college and conquer the world. Got it. Got it. Got it. Oh, wait, your brother came back and he's, he found a wife and also uh, her dad is going to give him a fantastic job. That's actually better for him. So now you're going to have to stay. There's a heartbreaking mm-hmm. scene where like he yeah, sees yeah, his yeah. brother and, and he meets his brother's wife. They got married and she's like, sorry, you know, like, his brother's like you've been holding the fort down i'm I'm gonna take it over from here mm-hmm. and you see george you literally bag. a literally a foot away from the train the train that he has dreamed about his whole life he literally 
30 seconds before that turns to uncle billy and says do you know what the three most most exhilarating sounds on the planet are it's you know train whistles anchor chains and uh like a boat horns or whatever mm-hmm. it's like, like this whole idea like oh it's just the thing that is taking me away from here yeah. and to adventure. And he's literally feet away from the thing. And you see him walk away. Yeah. You see him walk away from this thing that he never gets on. And he knows that he's so close. He can taste it because he is, has this idea of what, what's going to fulfill him as a man. This whole idea of like to find out who I am as a man, it's out there. It can't be here. Like, like this is why we call historically, we have called women ball and chains. Like, like these, 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 children these wives these like obligations these jobs they're things we have to do so on the weekends we can go nuts or do whatever we want to do it's this whole like that's the kind of classic framing of what of what adulthood is 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 to be for like when we're kids or whatever Mm -hmm. and to watch that over and over again and to watch him just at every turn get kind of slapped in the face and like his dream slowly is slower and slower just starts to die to the point where he you know he believes in this town but he knows that this town is going to be the thing that that kills him eventually he thinks anyway so it, it's such an interesting yeah, i want to i want to hear your thoughts on like just the themes of what it means to be a man what, what this film what the messaging of this film gives to men about how much it mirrors like yeah. our our longing and also like how obligations don't always have to be something that weighs us down it could be something that like actually gives us the thing that we think we have to leave to get that's so good you know the truth is too i would say i i i think there's an obvious point in there that i could emphasize of like you know at the end of the movie where they're like to george bailey the richest man in bedford falls and it's yeah. like the whole idea of like oh he's wealthy in other ways or you know because mm-hmm. all these people came through that that is very true and it's very real and it's very touching and i don't want to reduce that but yes. i think that like something that is less talked about in that too is the idea that like hey making the right choice does not necessarily fill you up like again mm. george could have walked away from the bailey building alone they would have let him they even said like yeah. at, at, at the beginning of the movie when he like he saves it for one deal and they're like hey they're gonna vote to keep the building alone open and not let potter buy it but only if you stay on no one would have blamed him if he didn't they would have gone like, yeah. hey, look, we get it. And honestly, let they me- even said that they were like, listen, like we've had a good run. I'm only 55. You know, like I can, I can get hired somewhere else. Yeah, he's like, I can get hired somewhere else. Mr. Potter's got a plan for Bedford Falls. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. there's numerous times like that. His brother says the same thing. Hey, George, I know mm-hmm. you got left holding the bag. Don't worry. I'm not going to I'm going to step in. And it's like he had yeah. a choice every time. And I think we can I think it's very few people would argue that he doesn't make the right like he makes the right choice every time. You know what I mean? He makes the when I say right, like the the altruistic choice. This is the choice that is good for the the progress of the community, the betterment of all. You know what I mean? His sacrifice Mm -hmm. for that. And I think that it's important to to highlight the fact that, like, I think as men, we are taught. um I don't know if we're taught this or if it's assumed. I have always assumed like if you do the right thing, things will work out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you do the right thing, you make the right choice. Honestly, I think this probably comes from Christianity. Actually, there's a, there's this weird karmic cycle belief hidden underneath Christianity where like, if you do the right thing, God will reward you for your, and that's like, first off it's, patently false if you have ever read the bible people do the right things and get screwed all the time because that's yeah. not the point um otherwise it wouldn't be doing the right thing like, you know what i mean mm-hmm. it would just be doing the thing that gets you like the blessing or that it'd just be doing the mm-hmm. thing that benefits you but like 
I think what's really interesting here is that George, you know, at the end of the movie realizes he's got this beautiful family. He's got this community that will rally around him. We can get into all of those details and stuff like that and everything. But the scariest thing for me, we talked a couple weeks ago uh, when we were during Men's Health Awareness Month about the suicide rates of men in this country. Essentially, every 15 minutes, uh, there's a male death from suicide. Um uh, there's, I think, three three or four male deaths uh, for every one uh, female death per suicide every hour. Um, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And I think something this movie highlights is that it's not just the guys that make the wrong decisions and get caught up in drugs and the ones that are in yeah. jail and the ones that, like, that, you know, certain uh, news channels would tell us it's these troubled ones. It's these ones. It's that, like, no, people make the right decision. And that wears on you because there mm. is no um, karmic. Oh, thank you so much because you've sacrificed, uh, you know, not going on your honeymoon, George Bailey, you're going to find an envelope with a million dollars. That doesn't happen. Right. Um, no. And so that I think is the most striking thing to me is that he's a good man who made every right choice and still found himself in an absolutely hopeless place because like, there are a lot of people in this. It it honestly makes me think a little bit of how you spoke to me uh, like a year and a half ago. You reached out to me on Marco Polo and you're like, hey, I've always wanted to be your friend. I wanted to get to know you more. You strike me, David, as somebody who has a lot of people around him, but maybe doesn't have a lot of very close friends who deeply know you. And you admit it to me. I am that person. I think it came. Mm-hmm. You use the analogy of saying, like, I, I, I think if I died today, I don't know who my pallbearers would be, who would carry yep. the casket. Yep. And when you said that to me, I was like, I could maybe name one or two people, but like also, you know, we're six months from not te- of, of not texting away from that person not being one of my pallbearers. Like that's not a, a solid, solid, deep friendship necessarily. Yeah. And so similarly, George Bailey is a pillar of his community. Everyone loves him. All the men still want to be him. All the women still want to be with him. Even after marriage, Violet is still coming to him for <laughs> um, uh, for help. And the men are coming to him for advice. And it's like, I don't think anyone in that community, had he thrown himself off the bridge and died, would have said like, well, that makes sense. Everyone would have gone like, we just, he was, he was the pillar of the community. Yeah. How could we not have seen this coming? Like nobody would have seen this coming. And that's mm-hmm. like, I hear that all the time. I hear that. I've heard that from friends and family talking about people that I've known my whole life who commit suicide. And it's nine times out of 10. It's, oh my God, wait, he what? We would have mm-hmm. never known. We had no idea. We had no idea. We had no idea. I think that you see that George is somebody who doesn't have deep community. He has a deep impact on his community. But he is very rarely, rarely, if ever, taken the time to make a connection that fills him up. You know what I mean? And that doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't make him like I think a lot of times, again, we talk about people who are in that place of um, the, the that mental place where they are entertaining those intrusive thoughts of suicide and self-harm and all that kind of stuff it's like well they've done something bad they've neglected their mental health to get there and it's like well yeah you can be someone who's neglected your mental and emotional needs and also be an incredible person you know and that's the thing that, that that is so terrifying about this is i go like george bailey is the archetype of the better man if we mm-hmm. said, like, we want to be better men, who's the mascot of the Better Men Film Club podcast? Well, yeah, I've, we haven't ever talked about that. But if I don't, I couldn't think of someone better than George Bailey. I couldn't either. And still, he's someone completely without male community yeah. in his life. He finds himself <laughs> on a bridge still on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And, and who was the friend who would come looking for him? 
who is the friend? Like, I think the cop ends up coming out there looking for him and stuff Bert, like that yeah. eventually. And there's people around him who know him, but there's not that one friend that goes like, mm-hmm. you and I have had these conversations on Marco Polo mm-hmm. where we don't hear each other from each other for a day or two. And one of us goes like, hey, our cadence is off. What's up, dude? Mm-hmm. Where have you been? Are you okay? Yeah. I just, I just, I just kind of came up from air in my own little bubble and I'm realizing I haven't heard from Nick or Dave. Are you all right? Mm-hmm. And the other one of us will be like, Hey, I'm really grateful I have someone that can read those signs. Yeah, I'm not all yeah. right, actually. I've been going through blah, blah, blah. George doesn't have that in this movie. Mm-hmm. God sends Clarence to Bedford Falls because George doesn't have that. And I think that's the scary thing. George is the yeah. better man archetype, and he tried to kill himself. Yeah, he still found himself on that bridge. That's terrifying. Well, and you know, it makes me just think about the fact that like doing the right thing really isn't enough. You know, like doing the right thing is reactive. So when you are presented with a fork in the road, choosing to go this way or that way is reactive. It's not mm. proactive. The road is going to go one of two ways and you have to make your decision. Are you going to go on your trip, George? Or are you going to stay here and help out the building alone? Are you going to go yeah. on your honeymoon? Or are you going to stay here to help out the building alone? Are you going to do this? Or are you going to stay here and help out the building? Using <laughs> that thing, but it's still yeah. reactive. And I think that it's important, like again, and getting into this conversation to realize that like mental health, like prioritizing your mental and emotional health, has to be proactive. George Bailey made the right decision 10 out of 10 times until the moment he was about to kill himself. But he never made the proactive decision to go above and beyond for himself because there was nothing left in his tank at the end of the day. And that's the scary thing is that like oftentimes it's so easy for us to go like, well, therapy is expensive. Well, reaching out to people is scary. Well, doing Mm -hmm. this takes time. I don't have time. Okay, like I've got kids. I have a wife. I have a job. I need time just to eat dinner and like sleep, hopefully more than five hours. I don't have time to do these things for the betterment of my mental and emotional health. And it's like, yeah, you you need to make it. It is. It sucks, but you cannot be reactive about your mental health. You have to be proactive about it. And that's again, Mm -hmm. it just like I don't think until I was 36 watching this movie, looking at George Bailey going like, holy crap, this is a story about a man who never made a mistake arguably right like in terms of the big decisions he's presented with he always made the right decision and in the end he wanted to kill himself because he wasn't pro at being proactive and prioritizing his mental health and that's like that's terrifying again there's a whole other movie here where he goes off and does all the things and Mm -hmm. builds all the towers and ends up like sam wainwright his friend in the movie who like basically takes his idea and makes a million dollars off of it and he, <laughs> Sam Wainwright, uh oh, um, where, uh oh, Sam Wainwright, um, where he, where he like is in the tower and he, he looks at the newspaper or he goes back and visits Bedford Falls and sees what he like neglected and what it became. And he ends up on that bridge again. Mm-hmm. You know, like, th- like there, you're exactly right. Like it's not right or wrong decisions. It's like, I feel like he made decisions based on like his conscience and his heart, but at the cost of like, yeah, not sleeping, like drinking a little too much, like feeling like he's constantly going to let down the people in his life that are counting on him. Because that's the thing we don't look at a lot here is everybody is counting on him mm-hmm. because he's so reliable. But but heavy is the head that wears the, the reliable crown. Yeah. Like, at some point, who is looking out for him? And I, you could argue that Mary is. But I mean, especially in this time. It, you were seen as weak if your if your wife had to take care of you or if, if you gave her a little bit of you know like mm-hmm. uh, of of the uh, whatever like let him wear the pants a little bit and I do want to talk about Mary at some point. I was about to say let's talk about Mary. Good yeah. Lord, Donna Reed set me up to fail in every single relationship <laughs> <laughs> because all I wanted to, to this day is I felt like I, she was my first real celebrity crush 
and I to this day watched it two nights ago. It was right there, back there again. Yeah. I'm in love with I'm in love with this woman. <laughs> she is so she is incredible. She's, she's incredible. incredible. She's strong. She's sacrificial. Yeah. She's while George is getting ready to jump off a bridge, she's out telling everyone what happened and and rallying the community. We find yeah. later like she's and it's not she really just she is kind of thrown into this. She's acted so beautifully by Donna. Like it's so beautiful. So Her first starring role. The, yeah. the character feels like it has a lot of emotional depth and everything at the same time, script wise, screenplay rise. She is kind of like she is exposition. And then uh, Mary was out getting everyone to give money. And then, mm -hmm. oh, well, Mary comes in and hands everyone the money. And like Mary comes in and blah, blah. And she just comes in to do these little helpful Santa's helper mm -hmm. things and stuff like that. But there is a, there's also an entire other movie there about Mary oh, and what absolutely. she's carrying this entire time. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I, I love that she's not always just dutifully, dutifully by his side. Like she basically takes that house and builds it like she she puts together that house she like which she wished to become a thing like she's arguably the most powerful character in this movie yeah because she kind of wills this entire thing to like george's life to happen um but i, I i'm she is she is so incredibly like you first off you can't take your eyes off her like if she's on the screen that first scene where like they turn around and and she you know at the dance like yeah, the yeah, way yeah. the glow is around her face you're like this is this woman mm -hmm. it's unreal now back to my story see that's yeah. what alfalfa says <laughs> oh back to the alfalfa thing okay so that that actor oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Th that's what you were gonna say right the, the actor that that is hitting on mary hatch or whatever in the in the when they meet again the one George who, and mary meet yeah the one who presses the button to open the floor so they all fall into the pool was the actor who played alfalfa and little rascals yeah yeah Which yeah, is, yeah. Oh, it's so fitting it's so fitting. And he's absolutely him. The way he's like, why don't you stop annoying people? He's like, well, I'm sorry. Hey, like it's yeah. a very like alfalfa kind of yeah. thing. Okay. That scene, dude, the, that scene, the scene, the Buffalo gal scene. Yes. Um, we, we skipped past that when we jumped right into the themes, but man, that Buffalo gal scene post dance is a dream. Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gal, can't you come out tonight? And dance. Just like an organ. Beautiful. I told Harry I thought I'd be bored to death. You should have seen the commotion in that locker room. I, I had to knock down three people to get this stuff we're wearing here. Let me let me hold that old wet dress of yours. Do I look as funny as you do? I guess I'm not quite the football type. I, you you look wonderful. You know, if it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? I don't know. Maybe I will say it. How old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? It was only last year you were seventeen. Too young or too old? Oh, no, no. Just right. Your age fits you. Yes, sir. You, you look a little older without your clothes on. I, I mean, uh, without a dress, you look older. I, I, you, I mean, younger. You look... look you just... Uh oh Hold oh, on, on the way here. Sir, by train, please. A pox upon me for a clumsy lout. Your, uh... Your caboose, me lady. You may kiss my hand. Mm. Hey. Hey, Mary. 
As I was lumbering down the street, down the street, down the street. Okay, then I'll throw a rock at the old Granville house. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. No, you see, you make a wish and then try and break some glass in. You've got to be a pretty good shot nowadays, too. too. Oh, no, no George, don't. It, it's full of romance, that old place. I'd like to live in it. In that place? Uh-huh. I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. There's right in the second floor there, see? What'd you wish, George? Well, not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I know what I'm gonna do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm gonna see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know, and then I'm gonna build things. I'm gonna build airfields, I'm gonna build skyscrapers a hundred stories high, I'm gonna build bridges a mile long. Were you gonna throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? That scene is literally one of... In, I mean, Mary is technically naked underneath the robe, but you know it. They never show it. It is one of the sexiest scenes in like mm-hmm. cinema history for me. It's, it's like, so hot. There, there's sexual tension. There's an innocence yeah. about it still. Yes. There's a, because at the same time, while all of that's happening, even though we know what both characters want, yeah. uh, like when, when she loses her robe on that bush... Uh, and he finds it or whatever. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, like I'm presented with a really interesting opportunity, <laughs> opportunity here. Yeah. I could maybe I'll sell tickets. Maybe I'll. he's being so tongue in cheek. Like, you know, he's not yeah. going to do anything but give yeah. her this thing. But still, it's like uh, it, it's such a dream. It literally is like you've had that dream about your crush. You're walking home mm-hmm. from the dance mm-hmm. and you're. it's like my my little middle school brain filled that Mary Hatch role with so many different faces, yes, whatever, same. whatever little sixth grade girl I was in love with that week that didn't know my name. You know what I mean? Cause it was just mm-hmm. like, just to, to be alone, to be secluded, walking down that dreamy little romantic, like, yeah. will they, won't they, they won't. And that's part of what makes it so dreamy is that there's not any pressure of anything happening, but mm-hmm. there's so much tension. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, by the way, Donna Reed, uh, in true badass fashion, being as badass as her character, Mary Hatch, mm-hmm. threw that rock and broke the window on her first try. Uh, she threw her rock. Like, they both did. They threw it, and they were like, we're going to have to keep doing I... this. They had all of these panes of glass because they're like, we're going to have to keep yeah. resetting these if he breaks it and then she doesn't and stuff like that. And there's a couple parts in the movie where you're looking at the scene, and it just cuts to another take of the scene, and yeah, it's very yeah, yeah. jarring. You yeah. probably would have gotten one of those. Nope. She The first rock she threw, she broke that window. And that I can't was not fall a in small love... throw. <laughs> no. I can't fall in love with a dead woman, Dave. I can't. <laughs> Listen. Watch me. Ugh. That's makes her so much hotter. Yeah. It's there, there, there's She's a story. A there, there's a story I read where Lionel Barrymore, who is like this, this like stage actor, like he's very like theatrical was, didn't believe that Donna Reed grew up on a farm and was saying, basically they were out there one day and he was like, it was like, it was like, you're an actor. You're not, you're just like me. You're not a farm girl. This is a put on this yeah. is a story that the studio made up for you. He was like, prove it. He was like, I'll give, you, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can milk that cow. And they had a cow on set and she went over and milked the cow while making eye contact with Lionel Barrymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love and, it. And she was like, well, that's the easiest 50 bucks I ever made. And, and I was like, God, how do you not fall in love with this woman? You're drunk. <laughs> that's so uh, crazy. Incredible. That's amazing. Shout out Donna Reed. Legend forever. We, um, in true fashion, just like the movie too, 
it uh we haven't gotten into the clearance of it all at all i know that's literally the last 10 minutes of the movie it clarence is. coming down yeah. and and rescuing him it's honestly kind of interesting because i don't have a lot to say about clarence it's clarence like odd body angel second class there's a lot of like uh, fun little lines yeah and it's a fun moment and it's all that kind of stuff but the heart of the movie really exists before clarence it, isn't it wild how like clarence is essentially one of the main characters of the film and mm-hmm. he's such a catalyst of why why, we, why why this movie even exists and he's kind of a foil he kind of plays this this like he's he's a comic relief he's you know? really hardly in it you know what i mean yeah. like he yeah. genuinely is very unimportant to the story yeah um and uh but anyway i don't mean so I, I don't know a lot about the actor i don't have any fun facts about him he's great i do love the 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 move to instead of coming down to save george bailey he jumps in the river because mm-hmm. just highlighting his altruism of like the only thing that would keep him from harming himself is if he had an opportunity yeah. to save someone else you know if, if the That's harming such of himself, good writing if he can see if i let myself go then i'm letting yeah. this person go you know what i mean um, That's such good writing really well there's so many things there's so many things in it where it's like oh it would it would be it'd be so much it'd be so much easier like if almost like first draft stuff where like we wouldn't have batted an eye we're like oh yeah it's a movie but like they make little moments like that it really does feel like you know and knowing where this started as like a short story that was sent off as a christmas card or whatever mm-hmm. like they the care that frank capra and the, and the writers took on on this screenplay to really make sure everything matched each character's uh like their their point of view and just the way that they would, yes, they would react to this or motivations. It's, it's spot on throughout the entire thing. It really does. Mm-hmm. It's, they didn't have to do everything that they did in this movie. You know, it yeah. wasn't, there wasn't a lot of film history to base it on. Like, ah, oh, we've already done this already. Like, we don't, like they could have phoned it in a little bit more, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, sorry, I was looking at this to see too, because when you were talking about that, like each each this the screenplay matching each character so well, I was trying to see who was the person that almost played George Bailey. Was it Cary oh, Grant? Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> he comes up in every episode. I feel like we need to. Yeah, the, Cary Grant was considered, which is such a weird miscast. Like I can't see Cary Grant being this character because he's too like movie starish. Honestly, like had it not been an indie film, he would have. Like if this was a studio yeah, film, it a hundred percent would have been Cary Grant. I also just while I was looking this up, I was googling that right now to see the facts. This is a fun one, but I didn't realize Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, uh, screenwriters on the on the deal, they walked out on the project in the middle of filming. Whoa! Says though their credit is as the film screenwriters with Capra, the husband and wife writing duo, duo were not pleased with the treatment they received from Capra. Thank, uh, this is uh, Hackett speaking. Capra could be condescending, uh, and you just didn't address Francis as my dear woman. When we were pretty far along in the script but not done, our agent called and said, Capra wants to know how soon you'll be finished. Francis said, we're finished right now. We put our pens down and never went back to it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Wow. That's such I, a Hollywood thing to say. We're finished right now. We're see? finished right now, see? <laughs> uh, I really do feel like there is a movie you know how they they made that like tom hanks movie where he played walt disney in the making of like mary poppins or whatever like i feel like they could do that with the making of this movie there seems to be a lot of behind the scenes stories yeah at one, at one point dalton trumbo uh did a pass on the script but he couldn't put his name on it because he was on the blacklist like a lot of stuff like that where frank capper was that. frank capper was a badass he was like giving it to like the best writers he knew to t- to, to check for like you know hey is there anything i'm missing what needs to be added including people like trumbo who who couldn't like 
he he would have been blacklisted too if he if they would have known. But he was the best writer he knew, like stuff like that. Where I was like, man, I would love to see that scene. One one of my favorite little facts that's completely unimportant to the movie, but I think is so fun because I feel so cold when I'm watching this movie is that it was shot yeah. in the middle of a heat wave. Um, I love that. Like oh, they wow. literally had to cancel shooting one day because the temperatures were so sky high. And so knowing that now, whoa, when it's George such a Bailey's, cold, chilly movie. I know when George Bailey's wearing his jacket, he's trudging through the snow. Which the snow is the first time they've ever. I don't remember what he did, but Capra like invented a different type. Oh, I read. That. He had like an engineering background, and he like invented oh, wow. a different type of snow that looked more realistic in this movie. But it was literally like the in the nineties and they're covered in the snow and they filmed a lot of the night scenes during the day as well and used night film for it. And oh, so wow. it's like this really tell. weird, like knowing that now when you watch it and you see Jimmy Stewart's always sweating and you're like, mm -hmm. why is he sweating so much oh, when it's so cold? Sweaty. He's working so hot or so hard. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like 98 degrees outside. Yeah. It's Nick Lachey out it's there. It's Nick Lachey out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that I think is very important to realize if we're talk having the conversation about mental health, but like the thing that sends George Bailey into a spiral isn't even a decision he makes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he really, yeah. again, he did everything right. It just goes to show like, yeah, you're still, life is still going to absolutely kick you in the teeth. You can do everything yeah. you're supposed to. And some idiot uncle, what's his name is going to come along uncle and just Billy. lose $8,000, which is the equivalent of who knows how much back then 80. You know what I mean? Like Probably. Yeah. it was, it was a huge, I think more than that. It was a huge deal, you know? Um, yeah. Also Potter never even gives the money back. Mother effer. I know that he gets away with it until that SNL sketch. Um, I don't remember. You remember that, that sketch? You remember uh -uh. that sketch? Uh -uh. There, there's a sketch where I'll, uh, I'll put it in here, uh, a clip of it, because you'll so love it. Further ado, here is the lost ending of "It's a Wonderful Life." All start singing all things sign <laughs> while they're beating the shit out of just beating an old man in a wheelchair yeah 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 yeah. that's amazing the it really is such a such a bold and i think uh thoughtful stance on the screenplay writers to go like mm -hmm. hey okay but like unchecked here's what these ambitions can lead to and here's what's about what matter you know what i mean something we did not yeah. oh, lessons we did not learn america <laughs> It really, there are some heartbreaking ones like that in the, in here too, where it's like, oh, we, we took away the wrong lesson and there's no going back. 
Yeah, of course. Well, we maybe, did. maybe I watched this on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> we completely missed the lesson. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jeff Bezos is like, look at these idiots. He even put it up for free just to fuck with us. <laughs> look out. We, can, we should play out the It's a Wonderful Life song with the Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> Get him. Ridiculous. Um, no, it was so good. Honestly, like if this is a movie you grew up with and you did, if you were born in the 80s or the 90s, you grew up with this movie. Yeah, you saw it. Uh, it, was, it was force, it was force fed to you by the, by the Superstation <laughs> in WGN. Yeah, um, but the uh, but rewatch it like I would I would challenge anyone who can't remember the last time they sat down and watched yeah. all two hours and 10 minutes of it to watch it. And it was really it really was. It's one of the few movies I've seen in a long time where I didn't reach for my phone. I didn't like yeah. I was just engrossed. Um, Absolutely. I don't know if it was just the right frame of mind or what the deal was. But man, it's, it's such a special movie. It really is. It it does. You know, we've, we've, we've covered a few of these now, but like it is lightning in a bottle. It's like, mm-hmm. I feel like if this, if this was made the year following or whatever, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as special as it was. They really did capture something, which makes it, I mean, it, it jumps off the screen at that. I kind of want to yeah. show my, my 12 year old to see who's like literally watching YouTube shorts. He's like, I can't, what, how long is this movie? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's in, it's how many colors are in this movie? <laughs> yeah. Two, two buddy. Because the the, uh, the colored version is just not good. The re, the colorized no. one is so bad. I was so excited when it came out in the '90s or whatever. We got we got it. My mom brought it home from Walmart. Mm-hmm. I remember, mm-hmm. and I remember being like, and it's just there. Some magic is we got ours at Target. It. Yeah, I know. Oh well, bougie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys, yeah. we were rich. Not a big deal. <laughs> we were rich, but we were living in 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 the equivalent of Pottersville during that time, yeah, <laughs> while you guys much. were in Bailey Ranch or whatever. Um, any cl- any closing thoughts? This Anything movie that, is good. Notes? No, okay. I mean, I really, I really, I've I've said it all. I think it's it's a really touching movie, and I think it's it really is something for for kids who were raised on it to see it now in your yeah. mid to late thirties, early forties, fifties. Like it just packs such a punch. Yeah, it really does. So so good. Um, you got a quote for us? I can tell him. I do. Quote. I can tell him my quote. Uh, we before that though, go follow us everywhere, everybody. Yeah, I'm Dave. Wears black on everything. He's Nick Flora on everything. Better Men Film Club on Instagram. Better Men Pod on Twitter, and Better Men Film Club at gmail.com. Write us. Give us your thoughts. What are your thoughts on It's a Wonderful Life? Did you were you raised on it like we were? Uh, are we idiots? And you've just been like ever since you were eight years old. You were like progressivism. Or was this all new to you as well? I'd I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on just like how how this movie, how the messaging of this movie has aged with you uh, the way like I I feel like it had with me. But um, and other just fun, comfy Christmas movies. Hey, we've got Mm -hmm. exciting things planned for next year, too. Are you stoked? I'm very stoked. Are we count me a Christmas fire, Dave, because I'm stoked. We officially, I believe, I don't know. Are we are we announcing this yet? Or is this like a separate announcement thing that we've got like an official season two kickoff of the podcast happening early next year? Yeah, tease it out. Season two is coming. We have some really big things uh, in store for season two of this podcast and some maybe like extra fun little other stuff. Mm. fun things i don't even know how to say it i was gonna say it but even we're though gonna i was gonna out, say it was spoiling. we're gonna put out a betterman film club calendar it's just dave and i every <laughs> other month <laughs> uh it's uh we're, we're doing a photo shoot for every day of the year so it's 352 oh. 
just images. Like, a, like a far side calendar. You're yeah. taking one off, one off each time. Yep. Exactly. Um, Yes, my quote from last year, from last year, last year, uh, from last episode was, does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? (laughs) The funny thing about this, it's from Die Hard. Uh, Okay. (laughs) It's actually a way more vulgar line, but we had talked about like, I think we had talked about Die Hard earlier on in that deal. I was like, oh, what's a good Die Hard? I hadn't seen it. And I was like, oh, I can't say like Yippie Kaye or like, that's too obvious, even though I know you haven't seen it. You don't know that stuff. But the actual actual line is, no fucking shit, lady. Does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? (laughs) And I just took the, does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? I think I forgot. And I just remembered that line. And when I was looking it up to be like, how does he say it? Because did my delivery match? (laughs) I heard that part. I was like, oh, my. On the Christmas episode? So, excuse me. Uh, Pardon my language. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, from Die Hard, it is a Christmas movie. If you don't agree, you can eat boo-boos. You know, I see that that argument online a lot. I don't see anybody arguing that it's not. I only see people saying yes, it is. So really, I think you won. Yeah, nice. I don't know. I'll take that. I don't care. I don't care if your reasoning holds water. You yeah. said I won, and I'll ha- I'll have it. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol is a Christmas movie, guys. Stop trying to make it not. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Are people <laughs> trying to make it not? <laughs> no oh um, <laughs> i was like what's happening right now it's literally as christmas in the in the title yeah um my quote this week is oh that's my sister she's completely bald in front <laughs>